Now that you're all comfortable and seated, I'm going to ask you to stand up. <laughs> so everyone stand up. You know, when Cricket taught us last week about the resurrection, I just left here singing, He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today, and that stayed with me. And as I thought, well, we, we're really going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to sing about the Holy Spirit this morning. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, sweet Holy Spirit, do you know that? There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. We're going to put the words up and we're going to sing it twice for those who don't know it. And sweet Vicki is going to play for us. Vicki, give us a little intro there. And please turn off my mic. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I get to see the sweet expressions on all these faces out here. So I, I'm the beneficiary of that. If you would open your Bibles with me to Acts 1 or your device, however you're going to follow along today. You know, um, we're going to be talking today about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. And um, it's just a new, a brand new thing. And uh, in, in Scripture and in the lives of these 
apostles and these new believers. And I was thinking of my next-door neighbor, um, and we have waited and prayed for her, for a grandchild, for over 10 years. And they had the first one just a couple of months ago. And it's a whole new ball game. <laughs> and it's just a thrill. And I thought of that as I thought of the thrill of the church and God birthing the church. And we're the beneficiaries today of Acts 1. It's such a thrill for us to read it. So when we think about the book of Acts, I want to just say a couple of things about Acts. You know, this was written as a history for the early church with an emphasis at um, the fulfillment of the great commission that Jesus gives his apostles. And um, he tells them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the surrounding world. And when you read the book of Acts, it's such a thrill because you see the work of the Holy Spirit. You see the sovereignty of God and you see the joy. It is a joyful book to read about the gospel spreading. The book of Acts can um, be divided really uh, just as the Great Commission is given. You can look at it and you can think the first part of it could be chapters 1 through 7, and that's really going to keep us in Jerusalem. And <clears throat> chapters 8 through 12, Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 13 through 28, Paul takes the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world, which was Rome in his day. Uh, Rome was about 1,400 miles from Jerusalem as the crow flies, and that, that was the uttermost part when these scriptures were written. So uh, Acts is really the work of the Holy Spirit and ministry through uh, Peter in the first 12 chapters and then through Paul in chapters 13 to the end, to 28. But I want us to look at it today um, as we think about the Holy Spirit in two divisions. And my first division is uh, assurance from the Savior. I just saw how the Lord Jesus came to his, his apostles that he loved so, and he assured them. After the, after the resurrection, they still needed assurance of his presence, didn't they? And then in Acts 2, we're going to see the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and it is no ordinary arrival either. It's so exciting. So as we look and into Acts 1 and 2, we're going to see that our main thought here is that the Holy Spirit empowers believers to live for Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers believers to live for Christ. So the Holy Spirit works through us when we surrender and give him full reign in our lives. And we're going to see what that looks like as we look in the book of Acts. And it's an exciting study. We're going to go through it quickly here this next week, but it's an exciting study. So have you ever asked somebody, are you sure? Are you sure about that? I had one of my boys, and he always asked me that. When we were going to do something, that mother, are you sure? Are you really sure? And you know what he needed? He needed my assurance that everything was going to be okay, didn't he? And I, I just saw that with the apostles. Jesus appears to his disciples over this 40-day period so that they will be totally convinced that he is alive because they needed his assurance to carry out this gospel commission that he has given them. 
And so as we look in Acts 1, in the first two verses, we see that Luke is greeting his friend Theophilus again. And he's telling him that, you know, in his first book, that he wrote about all the things that the Lord Jesus did. But this, this second book, he's going to write the continued work that Jesus does through the Holy Spirit. Now, just as a way of thinking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's a person. He's not an it. He is a person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he lives within the heart of every believer. And he empowers believers to live the Christian life. You know, Alfred Nobel discovered dynamite back in 1867. Well, the Holy Spirit had been around a long time since then. And uh, he needed a word to, for the power of his new invention. And he called it dynamite. And that comes from the Greek word dynamos. And that's the same word that the Holy Spirit comes from. Um, and Tozer says that um, the dynamic ability to be able to do what you are given to do, that's power. The dynamic ability to be able to do what God gives you to do. And you know, what you are studying every week was produced by the Holy Spirit. We know that from the Scriptures. The Scriptures tell us in Second Peter and in Second Timothy that the Bible was literally inspired. It was God-breathed by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So he, he really wrote what we are studying. And the chief work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Lord Jesus. One of the ladies said in leaders meeting this morning that when you put a spotlight on the cross, everybody's looking at the cross. They're not looking at the spotlight, are they? And the Holy Spirit is the spotlight. I loved that thought. Well, after his resurrection, Jesus showed himself alive for 40 days with many infallible proofs, it tells us in verse 3. And so he gave these men over and over convincing proof so that they would be sure of his presence. And he was speaking of the kingdom, he was teaching them, and he was giving them this season of preparation for their lifetime of ministry that they were going to go into. And he was coming and going from his presence, from their presence, if you read it in the Gospels, and until they learned to expect him any time, any place, and to wait for the Holy Spirit as he told them. In verses 4 and 5, he said, you know, John the Baptist baptized you with water, but the Holy Spirit is coming, and he is going to baptize you. And you're going to be baptized with the presence of the Holy Spirit. So not only did they become sure of his presence, but they became sure of his power. This talk about the Holy Spirit triggers in the apostles' mind the kingdom. And um, the Old Testament, of course, you looked up the Old Testament scriptures in your lesson. But the disciples say in verse 6, Are you going to restore your kingdom at this time? Now, Jesus had talked about that to them. But he tells them in verse 7, he says, uh, for the, to, excuse me, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the dates and the times the Father has set by his own authority. Why? Why couldn't they know that? Well, because that wasn't their mission, was it? 
Their mission was to spread the gospel, not ruling in a new political kingdom. And that's all they had in their mind was that Israel was going to be a new political kingdom and the Romans were going to be thrown out. But Jesus redirects them to their task at hand in verse 8. And this is a key verse in the book of Acts, if you look at it with me. He tells them, You shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall become witnesses. And you need to circle that word in your scripture because witness, witness is used about 28 or 29 times in the book of Acts. And you know, if you're going to be a witness, you have to be convinced of what you're a witness to, don't you? And you also need the power of the Holy Spirit if you're going to witness for the Lord Jesus. And he says, you're going to witness in Jerusalem. So that's right where you are. Your Jerusalem is right where you are. And Judea is your, your countryside around you. And Samaria, well, for the Jew, Samaria was a place they never expected to go. Have you ever found yourself in a place you never expected or wanted to go? I have. And God has said, be a witness there. And that's what he's telling uh, his apostles. And then to the uttermost parts, which I've already said was Rome. You know, I was thinking of Carol Ward. She's a missionary that serves over in Africa. And uh, her little book is, God send me where no one else wants to go. And he has done that for her. And he's empowered her by the power of the Holy Spirit to reach all of these people. And I, I thought how appropriate that we had our missions conference where we were studying this this week because it just flowed as we listened to the missionaries and we heard the power of the Holy Spirit in all these remote places, remote to us, but home to them. You know, in Matthew 28, Jesus said, You will receive all authority. And in the book of John, he said, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he's saying, here is the power for this ministry. Jesus makes sure that they understand that it's not political power, but it's spiritual power that he is imparting to them by the Holy Spirit. A witness needs to have that power. And a witness needs to know that the Holy Spirit will work on the hearts of those who listen. I love the theme of our mission, listening our mission conference, listening to the Lord of the harvest because it is the Holy Spirit that opens the ears of those that are listening. And if you have believed in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, it is the Holy Spirit who has convinced you, he has moved you toward that decision to receive Christ as your Savior. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So after saying this, Jesus arose into heaven into a cloud and his Apostles gazed in amazement. And in verse 11, the two men there that we think probably were angels said, Men of Galilee, in verse 11, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. That's an exciting thought telling us the Lord Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back that way, physically and visibly. And, you know, I thought it's interesting, Luke, as I went back and looked at the Gospels, Luke is the one that gives the emphasis, a, a bigger picture 
of the ascension. He does that at the end of the Gospel of Luke, and he does it again here at the beginning of Acts. And I thought about that, that it was so important to Luke to know that the Lord Jesus was coming back visibly and bodily, and it was important that he share it. The Holy Spirit gave him that. And so we see that God provides the power to do what he asks us to do. He's not going to leave his apostles without power. He provides the power to do what he asks us to do. And you know, ladies, he does that for you and for me. When God calls us to do something, he doesn't send us out blindly, but he provides the power through the Holy Spirit to do what he has asked us to do. Whether it's being a mother at home, taking care of little children, taking care of grandchildren, that takes a lot of strength for us that are older. It takes a lot of power. And whether it is reaching out into other communities, God provides that for us as we follow his lead. And not only were they assured of his presence and of his power, but they were sure of his promises. Um, he asked the disciples, he said, go back to Jerusalem. And what did they do? They returned to Jerusalem. They obeyed him. And you know, a believer who really believes what God says, they'll obey. They will obey. And they'll do it with joy. And the apostles are all named here. And I love that women are tucked in there. And Jesus' family, they're, prob they're finally on board, you know. It takes a while for some of our families to get on board, doesn't it? We understand that. But they're on board. And they come along. And they're all in the upper room. And it says in verse 14, they're all joined together, praying constantly. And this little word together is several times in chapter 1 and 2 of Acts. And I just saw here that the believer who is sure of Jesus will take him at his word. The believer who is sure of Jesus will take him at his word. The apostles followed through, they obeyed, and, and they took him at his word. And the question then comes to you and to me, do we take Jesus at his word? Or we can study and we can fill our head with knowledge but then what do we do? Do we take the Lord Jesus at his words? The, the disciples did that. And because of that, they were right in place when the Holy Spirit arrived. And we see here in Acts 2, it's no ordinary arrival, is it? As Jesus' followers were all together in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And I want to say a word or two about Pentecost. Of course, you read about it in your lesson that... Um, Pentecost, Passover, was when the Lord Jesus was crucified. And then 50 days later was Pentecost. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that um, the population of Jerusalem was about 150,000. But at Pentecost, it swelled to a million people. And people were camped on the hillsides and all around Jerusalem for Pentecost. And this is what God has planned a great time to inaugurate the church. And so as we see this, we see that this miracle is directed to all these Jews, faithful Jews that have come from many different countries. You know, it's been said that Bethlehem is God with us and Calvary is God for us, but Pentecost is God in us. 
And so here we are at Pentecost, and God gives three external signs to get everyone's attention. And uh, we start with, of course, the wind. And it was pretty windy around here last night, wasn't it? Uh, and, but we hear, see in verse 2, suddenly the sound of a blowing and violent wind. The New Living Translation says, a violent windstorm. Now, we know there's a huge crowd, and they come running in verse 6. They come running to see what it's all about. It was much louder than your ordinary wind. And it made me think of the, um, the weather sirens that we have that blow. Sometimes we hear them, and that gets our attention. But it was louder than that. And then in verse 3, he sends the sign of fire. And um, it said, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Can you imagine this sight? That these simple Galilean folks... These 120 that had been praying as God told them, praying as Jesus had instructed them, what were they thinking and what were they feeling? And then as they opened their mouths, they began to speak into, into different languages. Verse 4 says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. The New Living Translation says, They began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. These followers of Jesus were enabled to speak by the Holy Spirit in another language. Now, I've tried to learn another language. And when we were doing some mission work uh, in the South, my husband used to keep these Spanish tapes in the car. And um, when we would misbehave in the car, he'd put in the Spanish tapes. And we'd go, no, we'll behave, we'll behave. And then we'd all start listening to Spanish tapes trying to learn. But um, I found out you can do a whole lot of with hand signals, especially with children. But these people just automatically began to speak all these different languages. So the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, just as Jesus promised, and these believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. This supernatural, supernatural, transformational time, we can hardly imagine what it would be like to have been there. And the pilgrims in Jerusalem, well, they're astounded as they hear their own language being spoken. And they ran to find out what was happening in verse 7. They say, are not these men, aren't they Galileans? In verse 8, and here they are, each one of them. I'm hearing them speak in my native language. And then Luke goes to great length, and you'll look at all of the countries listed in verses 8 through 11. I'm not going to read them all, but he starts, starts out with the Parthi, uh, Parthians and the Medes, all these different languages. There's 15 different countries, 15 different languages represented there. And these nations are listed kind of from the east to the west. And so Judea's in the middle, and you, if you read and look at your map, it just goes all the way around. So He's just brought all these people together. It's so interesting that these faithful Jews have come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. People from all over the known world speaking so many different languages. And they're hearing these Galileans each speak their own language. And they say, how is this happening? What does this mean? And I had to think about this. This is exactly how I think the Holy Spirit want, wants missions to to be because we're seeing here that 
these Galileans are speaking in the heart language of all of these different people. The Holy Spirit demonstrated the best way to tell people about the Lord Jesus is in their own language, isn't it? And he demonstrates this here, to speak French to the Frenchman, to speak Spanish to the Spaniard, and to speak Mandarin to the Chinese. I, I just tried to imagine this in everyday terms. And that's what our missionaries showed us as they were here for the conference. Now, another group of skeptics say, oh, they're just drunk. And, uh, but, you know, the Holy Spirit is a, is a person who, enjoy, who indwells all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see such an example of this in Peter as he preaches without fear. And we see this demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit that those that were quaking in fear now are bold. And Peter gets up and he declares, he declares by the Spirit the gospel to all of these pilgrims. Well, he says, first of all, these men aren't drunk. It's too early in the day. It's just the third hour in verses 14 and 16, through 16. But this change in Peter and all the apostles shows the power of the Holy Spirit. So Peter quotes, amazingly, as he begins, he, he quotes Joel. You read it in your lesson where Joel said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh in verse 17. And he quotes uh, the Old Testament because these Jews knew their Old Testament. And he announces that the time has come for God to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And I think he's foreshadowing Jews and Gentiles here, young and old, male and female. And he reminded them that the, man, the, the men standing there, the people standing in front of him, that you, you knew who Jesus was. You know who he is. And you'd heard of all his miracles and wonders and all the things that he has done. And then he talks about his, how God purposed for him to be crucified and raised him on the th third day. And then he says in verse 24, I love this verse, it was impossible for death to hold him. That's, a way, that's why we serve a risen Savior, because it was impossible for death to hold him. And that gives us hope, doesn't it, for us too. And um, Cricket taught us so beautifully about the resurrection last week. And here we have it all through this week's scripture too. So it was God's plan for Jesus to be put to death on the cross and uh, with their knowledge and with their help. And God raised him from the dead. And now he's at the right hand of the Father. So Peter is just coming alive with this sermon. He's just declaring the gospel. And then he, he used the words of David to explain that Jesus was raised. Uh, he says in verse 31, Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. God raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, Peter said in verse 32. And then in verse 36, he gets right down to brass tacks, and he says to them, Therefore let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You know what Peter is saying to these people? He is saying, you crucified your own Messiah. The one you were looking for, you crucified your own Messiah. The Old Testament prophets pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. And we know that prophecies in the Bible, they're like, 
They're like signs. They're like road signs that point us in the right direction. It made me think of, um, well, the Holy Spirit brings life to the gospel message. We see it in Peter's message, don't we? It's the Holy Spirit who brings life to the gospel message that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. We can give out the message, but unless the Holy Spirit takes it and moves in the heart of those that are listening, then it's not a live message. I don't know how your uh, hydrangeas, but my look in the summer, my oak leaf hydrangea, it was alive, but barely this summer. And we watered and watered, and it kind of came back to life. And then it just looked great. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. You know, when you're dry and you think, gee, Lord, I, I just need a touch. I just need a fresh touch from you. And then the Holy Spirit does that for us, doesn't he? And he fills us. <clears throat> that's what the Holy Spirit does with the gospel message. He brings a message to life. And he is the Lord of the harvest. And so he's responsible for the harvest. All we have to do as believers is to give out the message with the power that he has placed within us. So do you in your own life then know the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you living the Christian life in your own power or by the power of the Holy Spirit? I love what Max Lucado says. He says, anybody can go through the motions, but it's like dancing without the music. I could stand up here and do some kind of dance, and you would think, she's just jumping around on the stage. But once music is put to it, well, that's the melody of life. And he says, it brings music to the Christian life. And I love that. Well, not only did Peter declare the truth, but then we see the decision of the people as they're listening in verses 37 through 47. Peter, <coughs> excuse me, Peter has given out the truth and the amazing power of the Holy Spirit, and the crowd was convicted of sin, and the Holy Spirit did that. The Holy Spirit had worked in their hearts, and they say in verse uh, 37, it says, they were cut to the heart. Now, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit <laughs> penetrates the heart when the gospel message goes out in his power. Here is the purifying, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And this crowd sees themselves, and they reach one conclusion, that they deserve judgment. Now, who thinks like that today? Only someone that the Holy Spirit has touched. Only someone that the Holy Spirit has reached into them will say, I deserve judgment. And the crowd says, what can we do? Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter told them exactly what to do in verses 38 and 39. He said, brother, when they said, brothers, what should we do? Peter said, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus and uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. So Peter was speaking in a Jewish context. And these folks knew the, test, the scriptures and the Old Testament. And uh, I wonder what Peter would say if he was speaking to us today. You know, the word repent means to turn and go the other direction. And I wonder what he would say to us today that we needed to repent of. Maybe we need to repent of to looking to success or family or technology 
or other things to build our life on, obviously you're trying to build your life on the Word because you're studying it. But Peter hit right to the heart of the people he was speaking to. In verses 39 through 40, he said, This promise is for you and for your children. And I love that. Because always in the Scripture is always admonishing us to pass on to the next generation what we have in Christ. And I loved that our children had their own mission conference. And what did they listen and I wish all of my grandchildren had been here about the ear, about listening. <laughs> Don't you know, you could have, we could have slipped some people in there, couldn't we? But to, to listen and how uh, John Tulliata shared with them about the ear. And I just prayed as they were telling about it that every child, every child had ears that would hear the gospel. I wouldn't want any child to leave this church without knowing the gospel, and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And then it says, he pleaded with them to save themselves from this corrupt generation. Well, they listened because 3,000 were saved that day. So the church went from 120 to 3,120. That, that's what we call made. Major church growth in one day, isn't it? And we understand now that a person who believes in Christ and trusts in Christ as Savior and asks the Lord Jesus to forgive them for their sins and receives Him, that the Holy Spirit enters their heart immediately and stays there for all eternity. We can be sure of this because the Bible tells us, Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. We're secure. It reminds me of my friend whose little girl was having heart surgery. And the doctor went in to talk to her about his surgery and what, about her surgery and what he was going to do. And she said, well, that'll be okay. But, doctor, you leave Jesus alone because he's in my heart to stay. And that little person had it right, didn't she? So... Believers, the believers' lives are changed, and, and you see this, that it says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, learning the word, fellowship, communion, prayer. In verse 44, it said all the believers were together, and you have this feeling of a community, and that's what we have in our church, girls, this feeling of community. And it says the Lord added to their number daily. In verse 47. So this first group of Christians grew in their faith and they experienced joy. They increased in their faith and days. Day by day. You know what they were doing? They were building their spiritual muscle. You know, you can be a flabby Christian or you can build your spiritual muscle. And you do that by fellowship and studying the Word and fellowship and communion and prayer. And then it said... They were reaching out and meeting needs of others. We just can't be sitting and soaking. We've got to go out and spread the word and spread the ministry to a needy world. So what does the Holy Spirit do here next? What have we learned today? That the Holy Spirit births the church. This is the beginning of the church. 3,000 in one day. And what happens when it's birthed? A community comes to life. A community to worship and live together, and reach out together, and share their, their property, 
share whatever they needed to in service of compassion to others in need. This is incredible new life that has come to all those that received the Holy Spirit. You know, Warren Wearsby said, the early church didn't have anything that we think is so important today for a successful church. And yet, the church won multitudes to Christ. And they saw many churches established. And we are going to learn that as we read the book of Acts. Why? Why did that happen? Because the Holy Spirit ignited the early church. And they spread because they leaned on the Holy Spirit and not on themselves. You know, we learn here that the Holy Spirit reveals changed lives and unity among believers. That's what the Holy Spirit does for the church. Changed lives and unity among believers. We were on a mission trip a few years ago to the Dominican Republic to help a church in Santo Domingo. And we had great fellowship and unity there. And at a women's gathering afterwards, a lady came up and she said, I want that Jesus. And so, as we shared Christ with her again, I sensed that not only did she want Jesus, but she wanted the fellowship that she saw in the hearts and eyes of all of us there. And she came to church with us, and believe me, those Spanish tapes didn't do me a bit of good. I didn't understand much of what was going on. But it didn't make any difference. I just stood there and cried as I heard these sweet Spanish voices singing to God. And it, it pictures what the throne is going to look like in heaven. Girls, they're not all going to look like us. They're just not. They're going to be from every tribe and every nation. And, you know, I don't know if I'll even know the languages because I won't be listening to tapes. I'll just be praising God. I'll just be praising Him. And we look here and we see that the names that we studied this week in the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit, I loved what Melissa did in her intro when she said, uh, she refer, referred to Sally Lloyd-Jones' Bible, Jesus Bible Storybook because what was the lesson? Jesus sends help. And I thought, boy, that just boils it right down. And as we think of the names here, of the Holy Spirit, I just want you to look at them with me just a moment. That God has sent that help to us. And those first three names, the Comforter, the Counselor, and the Advocate, they all come from the word Paracletus. And, but they all, to me, have a different meaning. You know, uh, a Comforter is someone that... Now, Comfort really means to strengthen. So comfort, a Comforter comes along and strengthens you. And a counselor, a counselor gives you some kind of help. And, and an advocate, that's kind of like a defense attorney. An advocate stands in the gap for you. And he's, when Satan's attacking me and saying, you're a bad woman, the advocate says, no, that's Satan. Now, when the Holy Spirit says, Nancy, you should have kept your mouth shut, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always specific. He's not general. Holy Spirit pinpoints what it is that we need to confess and change. And then we see that he's the convictor of sin. The Holy Spirit takes the truth of Scripture and he convicts us. He convinces me 
in my own heart when I have sinned. And you know, in Scripture we learn that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And what is grieving the Holy Spirit? Well, remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. So he can be grieved, just like we are grieved. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when we, when we sin, when we sin of omission, we learned this week, and commission. And when we are not walking worthy of our calling, then we grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to transform us in such a way that when we live out the Christian life, then those fruits of the Spirit that are talked about in Galatians, those fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, and Galatians 5, that's what comes out of us, not the old flesh. So he convicts us of sin, and not only that, he is our guide. In John 16, he said he would guide us in all truth, and we need a guide. And then also in John 14 and 16, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Jesus promised that after, the, after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit would come and guide us in all truth because he is the Spirit of Truth. I know you've had this happen. When you're studying and you have that aha moment, you go, oh, I know what that means. Yes, that's the Holy Spirit. Not only that, he is our intercessor and Cricket beautifully told us about that last week in Romans 8. That most encouraging, comforting aspect of the Holy Spirit that when we are oppressed and we are overwhelmed and we don't even know how to pray, we can just say, oh God, pray. Take, pray for me, Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that we can't understand. He's the indweller of the believer and he stays there forever. And he is the seal. And I love that because, you know, a seal makes something permanent, doesn't it? You know, I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit came, that God sent help. What a great thing. You know, I can't walk this Christian life in my own flesh. I just can't do it. And But I can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to close with a little poem today. I wish I could give credit, but it's anonymous. And it says, I am a we. There are things ahead which I fear, but we don't. And there are obstacles I cannot face, but we can. There are loads too heavy for me to carry, but not for us. And there are sorrows that I can't bear, but we can. There are times I am simply growing too tired to fight, but we don't grow too tired. I seek happiness, but we seek holiness. I seek revenge, but we seek forgiveness. I seek comfort, but we seek to comfort. I seek to be loved, but we seek to love. I can't walk the Christian life, but we can. I'm so grateful that I'm no longer an I, but I am a we. And so the question for you and for me today as we end our lesson, are you a me or are you a we? Are you living the Christian life in your own strength, relying on your own power? Are you looking to God and His Holy Spirit to empower you to live for Christ, 
Remember, the Holy Spirit empowers believers to live for him. And our lesson, we saw it in the apostles. We saw it in the early church. The question is, how do we see it in our own lives? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we do thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that he is with us in this room as I look at the faces of these precious women, Lord. Would you bless us as we leave this place? Would you remind us, Lord, that we are not an I, but we are a we by the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, your gift to us. In Jesus' name, amen.